Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. Glad you could be here with us this morning, and um, I'm glad you chose, if you're a guest here, if you have first time here, wow, you chose to be with us, thank you, and we hope that uh, you benefit from being with us here this morning. Uh, we have uh, several things uh, to let you know about. Of course, you've got a bulletin that's telling you a lot of things are going on. Right now, the parents, may, that's why it's a little sketchy out here, a lot of the parents are back there uh, with their kids, uh, wrapping up metamorphosis, and if you'd like to, if you're a parent, you'd like to join your kids and and uh, celebrate with them in their own special service back there. You can go there right now in the great room. I will not be offended. I have people leaving this room all the time. <laughs> Let's see what else. That's going on right now, even as we speak. Uh, tonight, tonight we're going to be having our uh, uh, back to splash or back to school splash. That's going on. Yeah. Going on at Wood, there it is, right there. Going on at Wood River Aquatic Center and the concession stand. They've opened it. They're leaving it open for us tonight. So it's only two bucks a person, and they'll be collecting money at the door. Uh, be there at 6:30, okay? And we're going to have a great time. And one of the things I like about doing things like this, it gives people a chance to meet us, and we get to meet them. That's why it's so cheap. Uh, so uh, if you can uh, join us, we'd love to have you. And if you've got a friend coming, oh, bring them. Let, let the rest of your church family. Uh, meet uh, meet your friends, and we promise not to embarrass you too much. Too much. Somebody said last week, Tim, we will embarrass some, but you're right. You're right, somehow. Uh, also, uh, there's uh, the marriage retreat's coming up. It's it's called Meet Me in St. Louis or Meet Me in St. Louis, and that's going to be happening on September the 5th, I believe. Yeah, 5th and 6th. And, you're, and some of you married couples, um, I hope you received one of these handouts we have here. It tells you a little bit about it. It looks kind of like this. It's at the Welcome Center. And it tells you a little bit about what's going on inside, uh, uh, a little more detail about some things. Denise and I went to the old spaghetti factory uh, just a couple of days ago. Uh, got around to celebrating our 30, is it 36 years? Is that, was that how many of this? I've, I'm a guy. I have trouble remembering some of that stuff. But uh, we, we had... Uh, had a couple of their entrees and looked around and snooped around seeing where can we have everybody set. And um, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be having a dinner there with our couples on Saturday night, on the 6th. Uh, let's see. And there's also going to be something going on, and that's uh, on, the, on the 20th of September. We're having uh, a church seminar, and we're calling it Aiming with Purpose. We're trying to hit the bullseye when it comes to things. You know, there's a purpose for why we do everything. I uh, hope you know that what that purpose is. But we're going to be looking at Sunday mornings in particular. What is our purpose when we come together on Sunday mornings? That starts, I believe, at 9.30. Is it 9.30, I believe it is? Was it 9 o'clock or 9.30? 9 a.m., the first session. There will be three sessions. I believe there will be two sessions and maybe a discussion group after that. But we'd love for you to come. It's important, church. I'd like for you to come and, and uh, let's get together on the same page for our purpose. Uh, many of you know that um, um, Stephanie's family, you know, Stephanie's granny died uh, and, and uh, they had the funeral on Friday. They've had a lot of death in their family. In fact, um, several people have, have uh, passed away. In fact, they're going to another funeral tomorrow. And, um, and uh, she just wanted me, to, she'd give me a card to read to you all and uh, wants to express her gratitude. Her whole family does. This is from the priest family. Somehow just saying thank you doesn't seem like enough, but I hope you know how much your kindness has meant to our family. And they are going through a difficult time. 
Uh, Granny was a big influence in Stephanie's life, a huge influence. And uh, Danny was telling me the funeral was wonderful. And um, the preacher there did a good job, I understand, as well. And, you know, I know some of you, you know, if you're, you know, some of us here weren't able to make it. But, if you know, Stephanie, many of you do. Make sure you give her a word, a look, and a touch. Give her a little some hugging. And, uh, you know, when we lose someone uh, dear to us, it's a, it, it can't be handled by ourselves. That's what the church is for, is to, to help each other carry one another's burdens, the Bible says. And, of course, she's going, and it's your great aunt, your granny's sister that passed away just after she found out that her granny passed away. The next day, she passed away, and so, uh, and she and uh, or uh, Stephanie's telling me that her great aunt had Alzheimer's, and but still they wonder if maybe she knew something, and they just had to be together. And so I thought that was that's cool. And so uh, there'll be a funeral for uh, as well tomorrow. If you want to help in any way with food or anything, just talk to Stephanie or. Or even talk to my wife Denise. Maybe she can even help you there a little bit as well. Um, we're in a series of lessons called identity. We've been looking at identity. I I think that you know who we are, why we're here. I, you know, I, I I last week was really weird, uh, and I say, well, what was weird about it? Well, if you weren't here last week, get the lesson. Uh, every you could heard a pin drop the last two weeks here in the auditorium. I feel that we're really dealing with something that all of us are really struggling with as a church, as individuals. Am I right? You know, it's like over the years, you know, uh, it's like we've, we may have lost, maybe you've lost who you're about, what you're about, what you're here for. You know, uh, talking to our newest Christian, Mike, last week, he was saying to me, Tim, you know, I just feel like I finally got some direction in my life and I can't wait to see what I'm going to be like in five years, what I'm going to be like in 20 years. He said 20 years, folks. I mean, he's, he's planning on being a faithful Christian for a lifetime. What an exciting, refreshing attitude, huh? Yeah, yeah. Praise God for that. And I just, I want to say to you all is that, you know, that's what attitude we ought to have as, as the people that have been dry out of the baptistry a long time, you know, that, that we have this same this same outlook on life. You know, God use me. What I feel like that right now we're getting more clarity about what we need to be perhaps in a long time. And maybe that's why this lessons this lesson series has hit such a nerve for many of you. And like I say, last two weeks I feel like they've been like, you know, pow out of the park thoughts. And today I'm hoping to get it a bunt down. I'm hoping I can do that, you know, because it's because I really want to look at this guy Moses and uh, it, there's not a lot of stuff about what I'm talking about today, about this idea of identity theft with Moses. Now the whole series, the whole series that we've been looking at with this identity is is based on this passage in Psalms 139. Because we're saying that we're wanting to make a positive ID. You know, um, there's so many things happening this week. So many things happening in St. Louis, in our nation. And don't you get tired of the misinformation? You hear the story and it goes like this. Then you hear the story and it goes like this. And, you know, it's hard to know who to believe anymore. And, and, and sometimes, you know, we, identities are mistaken and people get hurt. They get destroyed, uh, by a mistaken identity. And it's just, uh, be praying for the township of Ferguson. Be praying for our nation. You know, if any, you know, guys, 
We should be talking about racism. We should be talking about the problems that are going on in our society. But you know, some of us here have got our heads in the sand because we don't even know who we are and what we're about. And I think this, this right now, probably, per, I believe, I, and I'm not saying this is hype, preach, preacher hype, okay? I believe right now, more than any time that I can recall in my lifetime, maybe since 9-11, the church has an opportunity to share Jesus Christ and change lives. Because I think the devil's trying to get us all together and kill one another. He's just trying to get us all confused and just to hurt one another. And then whoever's left, he's going to knock off. And Jesus is not about that. And I'm just telling you this morning, it really starts with who do you think you are before we can help anybody else figure out who they are and what they should do in life. I just think we're at an impasse, or really at a crossroads, not an impasse, but at a crossroads as a church, and it's an exciting moment to be in. Because I know we hit, I know that we're over, I think, a, a very sensitive, confusing area in our lives. Even us, even us as Christians, you know, you may be a guest here this morning, you say, Tim, I, if you would ask me, who am I? I don't know how I describe it. Well, let me tell you, you're sitting, if there's a, you're sitting next to a member, they may have difficulty explaining it as well. Because we are, we are confused in a lot of ways. And I love this passage. This is what we've been building the whole series on. The psalmist says this, Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Now you might look at somebody, you may not want to look at them right now, and you're thinking, yeah, they're complex, all right. They're a piece of work. Usually husband and wives look at each other like that. But sometimes I can look at a, I can gander at a friend or two, you know. But he's not saying, thank you for making the person next to me so wonderful and complex. No, thank you for the complexity and the wonder and the handiwork that you've done in me. He's he, he, talking about a, a healthy self-image. This guy who's writing this knows who he is. And he's getting his identity from God. And he says, it's amazing to think about. Your workmanship is marvelous. Now, he's not walking around like, you know, I'm God's gift to women. He's not saying that. But he is saying, I look at myself. And many of us here, when we look at ourselves, we don't see, what a great job you've done, God. We're kind of like, why didn't you make me? And why didn't you? And why did that have to? You know? But he says, I look at how you've made me. I look at who I am. And it's marvelous. And love this last part. I love the last part of this verse. And how well I know it. He's saying, I'm confident. I know this in the, my deepest, darkest parts of my heart that I am someone of worth and value. And it's, a, it's all because of you, Lord, you've made me this way. Amen. Amen. And I want you to know, God wants you to make a positive ID. He wants you to be able to say, I know this really well, how God feels about me. I know very well who I am and where I'm going. Because see, who you are and why you're here are handcuffed together, folks. You can't get... They are together. But the truth is, let's face it, the truth is, we, sometimes we don't know who we are. We get confused. and We're not sure 
why am I here and what's the purpose of my life? And I think about people in the Bible. In the Bible now, there's people in the Bible that were confused. They had a little identity crisis going on, a little midlife going on. You've got, you've got Abraham and Sarah who are completely knocked off their feet and confused. You're going to have a child. Uh, I'm 100 years old. And Viagra has not been invented yet. So how's that going to work? And Sarah's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm 90. Really? I think it's, I'm past my prime identity. No, no. And I think somewhere the Bible says God calls things that are not as if they were. What you think is not. What you think doesn't. No, no. God says, no, I'm going to tell you the truth. You have Gideon, who's, you know, he, when God talks to him, it says in Judges, you know, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And he goes, and you know, Gideon's sarcastic. Mighty warrior? Are you looking at the, you see what I see? I'm in, the, I'm in a hole in the ground with a cover over it, threshing wheat. <coughs> if you've ever grown up on a farm, you know that's, that's not healthy. He's probably got a handkerchief over his head. His, he's mumbling, you know, muffling. You knew what I was doing. And if that's true, how come we got all this bad stuff happening? And then he said stuff like, I'm from the smallest tribe and I'm the runt of the family. You got the wrong guy. Only as you read the rest of Judges, this whole story, you find at the end, while he's got his foot on a king's neck, he asks them, who do you think? think I am and they go well we've been talking and we think you're the son of a king what you're the you're a prince and see sons of a king are warriors I can just see Gideon going well how'd that happen because I was I was a fighting farmer I was just a farmer a dirt farmer and now people think I'm a warrior Maybe God was right. God was absolutely right. And when He makes an observation about you, church, He is absolutely right. You can count on it. But when I think about lots of people in the Bible that had identity crisis going on, the guy that probably stands out the most is Moses. Like I heard say one time, Moses didn't know he was Moses. And that's the truth. He didn't have any idea who he was. I mean, think about it. The guy, he's born a, a Hebrew in poverty, only to be his parents to put him up for adoption. Well, they put him in a basket and put him in the Nile, and he floats down to Pharaoh's daughter, who finds this baby. By the way, why is that going on? Because, well, because there's been an edict passed that all these male children, Hebrew children, need to be slaughtered, need to be killed. And Moses' parents saw Moses, their, their, their son. By the way, they didn't name him. They said, this baby's not some ordinary child. We believe he's a gift from God. So they, we don't, we're not, we don't care what the, 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 what Pharaoh says. So they put him in a basket. Down he goes, you know. I remember as a kid singing songs about the crocodiles in the Nile and all this gonna get, you know, gonna get Moses. But Pharaoh's daughter draws him out, says, look, it's a Hebrew child. What do we do? And she says, let's keep him. We'll raise him. And the servant goes, or the, or the sister, Miriam, who follows along, says, 
I know somebody who can take care of him. And it happens to be the mother of Moses. And so I don't know how long she gets to take care of Moses. Perhaps maybe till he's weaned. I don't know. But he, takes, he, he grows up in a palace, but he's really a Hebrew slave. And one day as he grows up, he's looking around. He goes, I don't, I'm not the same as everybody. I don't, I don't look the same. I don't talk the same. And he's, then he finds out, maybe he asks his mom, you know, Mom, where did I come from? And, and well, we found you in a basket in the river. Really? Yeah. So I'm not really like my brother over here who's born? No. You're, you're, you're Hebrew. Hebrew? Isn't that the people over here? Yeah. And he's watching them. And by the way, his mother may have raised him some here and taught him how to speak a little Hebrew. Maybe taught him about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's quite possible. But he, the, man, the man grows up, says he doesn't want to be associated with the palace anymore. And he goes out and he starts trying to exercise this new identity that he thinks, I'm going to be me. And it backfires and he ends up in the middle of nowhere taking care of his father-in-law's stuff. His, their sheep. And he meets God in a burning bush. And all of that changes. He finds, like the psalmist, how wonderful and complex he is. How awesome God has worked in his life. And, he begin, and someday, Moses is able to say, I know this too. I know this well. He didn't know it well at the time. So he goes through this arduous process. It's almost like Moses had his identity stolen and he's trying to get it recovered. He's trying to recover his lost identity. Anybody here ever experienced identity theft here? Anybody ever used your credit card without your permission? Well, that's identity. Okay. I'm not talking about my wife used it one time. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about somebody used your car. You went on vacation. You had it swiped somewhere. You gave it to somebody. And the next thing you know, you've got these charges. And the company has shut your charge card down going, hey, we saw some suspicious purchases. Did you know, right, every two seconds, somebody is stealing somebody's identity in the United States in just the U.S. every two seconds? $50 billion in fraud is recorded every year through identity theft. Jesus talked about a thief in John 10.10 on your notes and up here on the screen. Look what he says here. It says here, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And look at the contrast. The thief, he comes. You ever been broken into? I have. And what do they come to get? They come to get your stuff. They come to steal. And if you get in the way, they might kill you. They might kill you. They might destroy you. And Jesus talks about this thief. But he, the, the thief he's talking about is not the one that's interested in taking your possessions. He's interested in taking you as a person. He's interested in stealing who you really are. But Jesus is about getting your identity back. I got to thinking about this. I was looking at Moses. Couldn't find anybody. I, you know, preachers are sometimes the best thieves. Uh, the best thieves. What do you mean by that, Tim? Well, a lot of preachers, you know, they're, when they're researching, they find out from other sermons and what are people saying. And I could not find anybody to talk about identity theft as it related to Moses to kind of get an idea or two. So I decided, why don't I just read the Bible and see what I can come up with? You know, that's always a good idea. 
And so I decided, why don't I see what I can find? And I found four thieves, four identity thieves, spiritual identity thieves, if you will, that were in the life of Moses that I believe affect you and I too when it comes to who we are. Let's look at these four thieves. The first thief, I believe, it starts with a C, am I right? Come on, bring it up. Are you there, Pat? Pat. Hello. Pat. What happened to you? There we go. My critics. I didn't criticize him. Did you notice that? Okay, my critics. That's the first thing. Who are the critics? Who am I talking about? I'm talking about the people who like to criticize you and cut you down. All they're interested in doing is shaming you and crushing you. That's all they're really interested in. They're, all they're focused on is, how can I, how can I show you what you're not? The, the, we're not talking about a loving Christian who points out sin in your life to help you change. That, I'm not talking about that kind of critic. We need, the Bible says, iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. We need people that give us accountability. We're talking about a person who does nothing but tries to destroy you. They criticize you. Like I said last week, I don't know which service, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That's a lie. I've found that I'd rather have a broken arm. Sometimes I'd rather have a broken arm than the broken heart that I get sometimes from my critics. You got critics, I got critics. And guys, I wake up with the critics. I wake up hearing... Anybody here besides me, you wake up remembering something critical... And you just you're waking up with it. Good morning. Yeah. Now I'm not talking about somebody in the house. I'm not talking about somebody inside my head. And they and you hear that criticism. They may be even dead by now, but there it is. Moses had his critics. Look at this passage. One time he was he was uh, he saw two Hebrews arguing. And I don't know, Moses must be thinking, you know what? I need to go deal with that. I'm a Hebrew. You know, Mom just told me. I'm just going to go out there. And so he gets in there and he starts, and it says he socks to the one who's in the wrong, it says. And when he says to him, he tells him, why are you, why are you doing this? You know, why are you hitting on, uh, one of your own people? And look what the guy says. I think the Hebrew behind it says, who died and made you king? Or who died and made you sheriff? Or, who do you think you are? Because he says, who made you our ruler and judge? And then there's this little tag slam. You're going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? And what's Moses do? He's scared. And he thinks everybody knows what he knows. And that's the, see, that's the, the critics in our life. They're the, the ones that attack us. The ones that put us down. You can't do that. You'll never be able to do that. Why can't you be like somebody else? I had a guy tell me this morning, he was talking about his childhood, where somebody was saying, why don't you be like your brother? And he said, Tim, I took my own, I stole my own identity. I decided to be the opposite of my brother. And so I wasn't even me. Isn't that something? And so Moses is confronted by these critics, and he's saying, they're saying, who do you think you are? And, 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 and they don't have any respect or honor. And that's all our critics do. They don't respect you. They'll never respect you. And they're seeking ways to put you out of commission. It's like they've stolen your identity. And you become this person based on their critiquing, their criticism, their put-downs. 
Number two, my past is another thief. My past. Boy, this is a big thief, huh? How many times do you let the past affect what you're about to do? Yeah. I know Jordan's not the only one. We do it. We do it. We've done it. We, how many times have we let somebody in the past or something in the past regulate and control what we're going to do in the future? Moses had this problem. Look at that, look what he had in his past. Moses grew up and became a man. In other words, he grew up and he says, you know, I'm going to be my guy. I'm going to be my own guy now. He doesn't want to be known as the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He doesn't want to be known as an Egyptian. He's going to be his own man. One day he visited his people and saw that they were forced to work hard. He saw an Egyptian, it says, beating a Hebrew. One of Moses' own people. He says, hey, I'm a Hebrew. That's who I am. That's one of my people. And he goes after him. He looked around and saw that no one was watching. You know, I, I get the impression here that he watches this Egyptian beat this guy up, and then he watches the Egyptian walk away, and Moses kind of goes, kind of follows. Maybe it's late at night. It's on a deserted street somewhere, and there he is, and he looks around and goes, there's nobody here. Here's my chance. And he kills this guy and hides his body in the sand. And what happens to Moses? Well, people begin to find out, and he runs for his life. You ask Moses, you know, um, God wants to use you. can't use me. Why not? Because I'm a murderer. I, I can't, I've got, I think, I've got thoughts that I'm so ashamed of toward people. And I've done things to others. God can't use me. The past. The past. It has this power over us. You know, my past is my mistakes, my sins, and my regrets. Don't they steal my identity? Don't they steal your identity? Yeah, they shape it, but they steal your true identity. You know, even the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 says, I don't understand what I'm doing. He's saying, I don't know me. What's wrong with me? I'm a wretched man. I do what I don't want to do. And the things I want to do, I can't even carry them out. What is wrong with me? See, my past, your past, my past says things like this to us. You're dumb. You're an idiot. You're hooked. You can't escape. It'll never change. Here's a third one. Another thief is my profession. What? I know, listen, I'm letting, I'm letting the story of Moses talk to us today, folks. Preachers can make anything out of the Bible. I'm, I'm convinced of that. But when you look at the passage, it's kind of true here. He mentions profession. You say, well, how's that, how's that work? Well, here's what I notice. Here's what I notice, folks. I can sometimes confuse who I am with what I do. I confuse what I do with who I am. Yeah. Tim, uh, who are you? Well, I, I put in auto glass and I preach. That's what you do. Who are you? See, I'm a housewife. I'm an office worker. I'm an attorney. I'm a mechanic. You see what I'm saying? I work, I work, I work in, in the medical field. Who are you? We, we, we put what we do on the front end of that. Moses is no different. 
Look what he says here. He says, One day Moses was taking care of Jethro's flock. Jethro was the priest of Midian and also Moses' father-in-law. When Moses led the flock to the west side of the desert, he came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And here's what I noticed something here. This is, this is the first time we know of Moses coming to Mount Sinai. And he's bringing sheep. And you're saying, so? You think that's what God made him to do? Was to make sheep? What did God, what's God help him see? I made you for more than that. I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. And, to, and he says, to prove to you this is what I want, you're going to bring them to this mountain. Guys, sometimes, I don't know if you ever experienced this, but sometimes we, we can get kind of lost in who we are when we lose a job, when we lose a spouse, when we lose a child. My wife mentioned this to me. She mentioned this point to me. And she said, you know, Tim, and she, I, don't, I, wonder, I wonder if she was trying to say to me something like this, since Matthew, since both our children are now gone, it's hard to know what to do as a mom. And you know, God did not create Denise just to be a mom. But a woman of God that God could use anywhere in any moment. And sometimes we've limited who we are. It's awful quiet in here because this makes sense, doesn't it? A lot of times, guys, we limit who we are based on what we do and think, well, it's not my job. That's not my job. I do this, and that's out of my talent. We don't even use a fraction of our talents and abilities. God has made you wonderfully complex. You've got so much talent in you, so much ability. It's mind-boggling. And what I just noticed is, is Moses was more than a shepherd of sheep. And just like Moses, you and I, we can use our gifts, or we, well, we can use our gifts either for just ourselves and make a bunch of money and live in some nice places and drive some nice cars. And I don't think God's saying there's anything wrong with making money and living in a nice place and having a nice car. Some of you, I wish for you to have a better car. I really do. I've been there. I don't get a phone call. We're broke down again. Oh, give God, give him a car. Come on. <laughs> Coral's getting <laughs> Yeah, okay. But, but at the same time, you know, God wants me to use it for more than, my, than in my kingdom, but His kingdom, in His realm of things, His scope of things. But sometimes my profession will steal my identity and that limits what I do number four my ego I think the greatest thief of all is me when it comes to my identity there is a battle in my head anybody know what I'm talking about you got this battle in your head in your heart and it just drives you up the wall why do I say that? Why do I do that? Why does that matter? Why am I discouraged? Why am I upset? Why am I excited now? And not and why why am I confused? And there's all this self stuff going on. That's ego. 
See, ego is focusing on yourself. Another word is pride. God made us with with some, I think, ego. Ego can also be how I see myself, my self-esteem, my worth. Look what Moses says to himself. Moses was his worst, worst enemy. But Moses said to God, I'm not a great man. <laughs> you can't use me. Why not? I'm not a great man. What's he saying? He's having that self-talk that we talked about last week, that stinking thinking. What does he mean he's not a great man? I killed somebody. I've been told by my critics, who do you think you are? You know he's arguing with his Creator. He's arguing with his Creator. I'm not the right guy. I'm not a great man. How can I go to the king and lead the Israelites out of Egypt? And God is spending all this time trying to convince Moses after he's heard his critics, after he's listened to the messages from his past, and he's let his profession define who he is. God speaks and says, this is what you really are. And Moses argues with him. Pride? Ego? Absolutely. Absolutely. You see, I can cause my own identity theft. Remember that guy from LifeLock who put his social security number on the side of his advertisement and he's waving? He's basically telling everybody, I dare you to try to take my identity. Well, I'm not about to do that. Why not? Because I don't have life lock and I'm not very good at... uh, I, I think I'm making lots of mistakes when it comes to protecting my identity. And sometimes, guys, I can be such an easy mark for those that want to steal my identity because I'm not doing anything to protect it. I'm not really doing anything to define it. And I'm letting them define it. I'm letting the critic, I'm letting the past, I'm letting what I do define all that. So my, my identity is easy to steal. I'm basically handing it over to them. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to be. And that's only reserved for the Lord. A lot of us here are putting our identity in the hands of somebody who is just as confused. That doesn't mean you ought to poke somebody in the eye right now. I'm not saying turn to somebody, you're no good, you're not important. No, God put people in our lives, and I believe they're, they're there for a reason, okay? But only God should have that kind of power in my life. Look at a couple of passages up here on the screen. Look at how what happened to Moses influenced what he did so much, how he saw himself. Moses agrees to stay with Jethro, and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses to be his wife. Zipporah gave birth to a son. Moses named him Gershom, because Moses was a stranger in the land that was not his own. Gershom means stranger. You know, a lot of people in the Bible, they name their child after something. And it was usually some really positive names, not Moses. He's so self-focused. He's so caught up in how he sees himself, and he's so confused. He names his kid confused. He needs, I'm a stranger. I don't belong here. I'm going to name my kid. So now every time he talks to his child, every time he says his name, he's reminded he did that to himself. Bummer name, Gershom. Who gave you that name? My dad. Why did he do that? That's how he felt. 
How you see yourself affects everything you do. God says, I want to use you. And look at, look at us. Look at this next verse up here on the screen. It's not in your notes. And he says here, Moses says, The Israelites will not listen to me, so surely the king will not listen to me, to, to me either. I'm not a good speaker. He keeps bringing up this, I'm not what you think I am. And he thinks he's got a good point. And like I told you last week, I think God starts to ignore. Get going. Well, I can't talk. Get going. But I get going. I can't talk very good. You seem to be really good at making excuses, Moses. I know you don't stutter during those times. I'm not a good man. Don't push me. You're better than you think, Moses. And what I notice, and that's what I want to get into now, is this. So what does Moses do? What does God and Moses do? They go through this arduous process, and I, want to, I, I can't emphasize it enough. Arduous process. What do you mean, Tim? It's difficult. It's a difficult process to recover your identity. Because we're a stubborn people. We're convinced that we know ourselves so well. Nobody knows me better than me. You want to bet? Your Creator knows everything about you, even the things you forget. But Moses, just like a person who gets their identity stolen, has to go through all the paperwork and all the, the stuff. It's, it's a hassle if you read a list of things you've got to do to get your identity back when it's stolen. Moses goes through this. And by the way, ask anybody that's went through the hassle, and they'll say it's worth the hassle. And if you were to ask Moses, I believe he would say to you, Tim, it's worth the hassle to go through this process to get your true identity, the one you were born with, that got stolen from you. When did it happen? I don't know. When did it happen to you? Kid on the playground? Maybe something mom and dad did? Maybe somebody you trusted? Maybe something went sideways and you begin to second guess who you were. But God is interested in helping you recover your true identity. You were made in the image of God. That's how you started. I don't know which thief has taken your identity, but God says, would you let me help you get it back? What do I do, Tim? They're going to get it back. Well, Moses, here's three things he did. There's probably other things you can do, but here's three things I noticed in the passage. The first one is, the well, first step is, I must let go of my ego. Remember that commercial, let go of my ego? <laughs> i got to learn to let go of my ego. And this is tough. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He says, so when he grew up, finally got to a point, we talked about this in the first lesson in this series, that it's a sign of maturity when you begin to choose and make good spiritual choices. And Moses, when he grew up, says, you know what? I'm no longer going to be known as an Egyptian living in the palace. I want to, I'm going to find out who I really am. Well, how do you do that? Well, I've got to let go of my pride. I've got to let go of my ego. I don't know if Moses was doing this or not. I'm not sure. But I wonder if he, you know, he's going, I don't want to be known that like that anymore. Well, who do you want to be? I want to be, I want to be my own guy. I'm going to be, I'm going to be like this. Let me ask you a question. Who are you trying to be like? 
because there's a lot of people that are trying to get you to be like them. This is tough. You know, it's not just our media, not just our music, not just the movies. There are people that we're close to. There are people that we admire and we think, man, if I'm like them, then I'll have the same life as them. How many times, wives, have you went, man, if I had a husband like that? Or how many times, husbands, have you said, if I had a wife like that, it'd be so much better for me? I heard an old old farmer tell me one time, Tim, he said, you know, the grass may look greener on the other side of the fence, but when you get there, it's crabgrass. It may not be what you think. But we compare. That's one of the problems when we're trying to find our identity. We fall into this trap of comparing ourselves with somebody else and saying, if I'm like that, then... And by the way, you say, well, can't I admire people and admire good leadership, admire good examples? Of course you ought to admire those. But they're to help you to be what God made you to be, not like them. If God wanted two of me around, which would frustrate you a lot, He would have made two of me. That's true for you too. Some of you are saying, God broke the mold when He made me. And some of your friends are saying, praise God. <laughs> Don't let go of this, this, this selfishness, this, this idea that, well, I, you know, I'm going to be who I want to be and embrace what God wants me to be. No, he tries to be himself. I'm a Hebrew. I see some Hebrews arguing. Hey, stop it. And they tell me, who do you think you are? I see an Egyptian picking on a Hebrew. I stop him and I get more in trouble. This isn't working out very good. It's because he's not letting go of his pride. He's still, he's not open to find out who he is. He's trying to define it himself. He has this desire to prove himself. Anybody here fit that? I'm going to have to prove myself to people. And it seems to me that Moses, when he finally let go of his ego and let go of this desire to show everybody, that he finally said, you know what? I don't know who I am. I'm just going to let go of this. Then God was able to show him who he really was. Look at this. James 4.10, look what it says. Look at the Bible promises you. Be humble before the Lord and He will make you great. Man, I want to be a great dad. Be humble before the Lord, and He'll make you a great dad. I want to be a great mom, Tim. Tim, you know we're getting we're getting ready to do a thing called how how to have a better kid by Friday, by Dr. Kevin Lehman. We're going to be offering that on a Wednesday night here in a few weeks for any parent, any grandparent, aunt, uncle, anybody that wants to learn how to some just some nice little ideas on how to make a better kid, how to change them quickly. Some of you are going. I need that, okay? How do I do how do I get to be a better mom? How can I be a better worker? Humble yourselves before the Lord. Set your ego down and let God listen to what God has to say. Obey what God has to say. Surrender to God. That's what humility is. Humility is a bow. How can I be a, a better student, a better employee, a better employer, a better Christian, a better man, a better woman? Humble yourselves before the Lord. Let go of your ego. And, what, and the Bible promises you that the Lord will make you great. He'll lift you up in that. You'll improve in that. Praise God. Look at this passage here in Exodus 11. This, look, here's what happens. Look what happens. This is after the plagues. 
So the Lord made the Egyptians greatly respect the Israelites, and everyone, including the king and his officers, considered Moses an important leader. They changed. These are the same people that said, we're not going to listen to you. These are the same people. Who do you think you are? What happened? Well, Moses didn't make himself into that man. God made himself into that man. And you do that when you let go of your ego. Number two, I accept who God says I am. And I want you to write that statement out, and I want you to circle a bunch the word says. I accept who God says I am. I told you earlier that I wake up with voices, and you're probably thinking, are you, Tim, what are you saying? <laughs> you guys ever wake up with all that stuff going on? I wake up, you know, it's pretty clear for about 15 seconds, and here come all the thoughts and the cares of the day. And it's like they're voices. I call, that's what I call them. And they're all saying things. Some of them are every once in a while I hear something positive, but I'm hearing the negative. I hear the negative. And I, and I, and I find myself every day. Every day this is happening to me. Anybody else been going on? Don't you get tired of it? Is it a demon? What is this thing? You know, I'll go, come out, foul demon, you know, there as I get up. And it doesn't work. And even though I hear stuff preachers say, and myself included, think about these things, think about these things. You know, this week I hear some things, and, you know, and Nathan and I are talking, and I said, well, you know, the Bible says think, don't get into this thinking, thinking. Think about these things. Think, think about whatever's pure. And that works for a little while. A little while. And the next thing you know, I'm thinking about what they're saying again. Thinking about what the, the threats, the intimidation. Tired of it. Will I ever escape it? And you know what I've learned, I've realized, is I'm listening to the wrong people too much. Huh? I'm listening to the wrong people too much. Because if I'd listen to God... My day would change. I don't know if you like Joyce Meyer. Every once in a while I listen to her because I like her. I like her when she throws a fit. She'll go into a tirade just like any preacher. Sometimes I'm going, my oh my! She is so. She has that sassy attitude, and I love that confidence in her. You may say, "Well, I don't think a woman ought to talk like that." Well, you got your opinion. That's fine. But I'm looking at her going. Watching her, and she's this little glip on YouTube where she's talking about, you know, one time I just finally decided, you know, I'm listening to all this stuff, and I say to myself, you know, I read a passage that I've read a hundred times, and it says, God loves me. And I go, and a light bulb went off. A light bulb goes off. And I go, he says, she goes, and I had to say to myself, you know what? I need to leave that bulb on for a while. And I have to say, you know, every, and, and, he, and she goes on, I keep telling myself, and we need to keep telling ourselves, guys, what does God say? What does God say? What does God say? I forget what God says, but I sure don't have trouble remembering what my critics say. What's that say about you and me? We're selfish. We're so selfish and self-focused. And God says, would you look a little higher and listen a little longer that direction? And I hear over and over in my Bible, I am worth it. I am I'm valued. I read Isaiah where God says, I'll give up all whole nations for you. Nations of people for you. 
I read, I read in Jeremiah, I read in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, God says, I am the apple of His eye. What does that mean? Well, if you... He's talking about the pupil. He's talking about the center of your eye. I've got God's attention. You have God's full attention. He don't care about mountains. He don't care about stars. He don't care. He's looking at you. He cares about you. You're His prized possession is what the Bible says. I need to, and I need to listen. I need to listen to what God has to say and accept what He says over and over and over and over and over and over and over until I get it. Amen? And too often what happens is we go, okay, I had my quiet time, Lord. Thanks for that wonderful thought. Those are great texts, Tim. What a wonderful thought. And it's just a thought. It never becomes thoughts. Now I think about it and think about it and think about it and think about it. Guys, I'm, t- I'm preaching to me today, if you figured that out. And I'm learning something. I need to accept what God says and quit arguing with Him when He says, You're the man. I said this, I don't know if I said this in the last service or which service or who to, but I come to the conclusion that God's tired of me saying I'm the wrong guy. So I've quit saying it. He flat out just made it clear to me, Stop saying that. You're discouraging people and it's getting me angry. And I went, Okay, I'm done. I'm the guy. You're going to have to tell me a little bit more because I'm beginning to... Don't say it. I'm not saying it. And you need to tell yourself, you're the guy. You're the woman. But I'm a sinner and I mess up. Find a per- Outside of Jesus Christ, who's the person that God used that was sinless? Outside of Jesus. There's nobody else, guys. Look what it says here. The Lord said to Moses, I love this. Here's what God says to Moses. And he figures this out and begins to believe it. See how important I've made you? In speaking to Pharaoh, you will be like God. What's that mean? Nobody can be God. He didn't say God. He didn't say you will be God. You'll be like God. And your brother Aaron will be like your prophet. What's he saying here? Well, Pharaoh says stuff like, who are you? The Hebrews say... Who do you think you are? Moses says, I'm not the right guy. And God says, I will make you like me. Who do you believe? Who are you going to believe? You know, if you're going to admit you're a sinner, admit you're a liar and stop lying to yourself. If everybody's a sinner and everybody falls short, then a lot of things they say aren't true. But you can't never, you can never say that about the Lord. And when He says, I made you in my image, and I died to restore that, look, look at this next verse here. Look at this next verse. Ephesians 2. For we are God's masterpiece. This is Paul who killed people, who messed up a lot, who was wrong, who said, I don't know who I am, has learned, he, he, he learned through the process of getting his identity back, I am a masterpiece of God. Now, I know some of you are saying, yeah, I'm a piece of work. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying you're a masterpiece. You know, you say, well, well, I don't know if I'm a masterpiece because, there's, because it isn't very pretty. I'll tell you, you've seen them as, many, as much as I have. Stuff, on, stuff in museums, the Monets, the Rembrandts, and you see the color, the beautiful colors. He goes, oh, yeah, but, but I got a lot of black. Well, you know, the, those dark strokes... 
enhance that color. They're a part of you too, and it makes the masterpiece. Now, I know some people will say, I know some artists have shown a white canvas. There's my masterpiece. And I look at it and go, I give it the old Edward G. Robinson in Key Largo look. That's what he does. Disappointed. And I'm just telling you guys, is the Bible says you are God's masterpiece, and He says He was He has created us anew in Christ. You know what created us anew means? To make, to change, to transform. I don't know if you know this or not, but God is an identity thief too. You know that? He's trying to take an identity, the wrong one that you have. You hear me? And He's trying to replace it with something new, transformed, different. And it happens in Christ. Let me go to this last point and we'll, be, we'll wrap this lesson up, Pat. Okay? I know you've got some stuff there, but we're going to keep going here. Number three, what can I do to get my, my uh, true identity back? I make a commitment to God. What I notice as I back up back or back off of this passage with Moses and Pharaoh this week is these ten plagues. I mean, you can't talk about Moses without talking about the ten plagues, right? I mean, you got the gnats and the water and the blood, and you got the you know hail and and you got you know the death of the firstborn. You got frogs, frogs, frogs. You got flies. You got boils. I mean, there's some pretty crazy stuff happening here. Why is that in there? And what's that got to do with finding my true identity? I believe that when we understand who God really is, then we understand who I really am. And Moses and Pharaoh both had a front row seat to this. They both saw the plagues. They both saw the plagues. One responded positively. The other responded poorly. Look at look what Pharaoh says. Pharaoh says it like this. Who's the Lord? Why should I obey Him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. He's right. Why should I obey someone I don't know? You have trouble obeying the Lord? You have trouble obeying the Lord? There's something you don't know that you need to know. And the more you understand the Lord, the more you know the Lord, the more you're going to obey Him. And that comes from a commitment. Making a commitment. Nobody else makes it for you. Your mom and dad don't make it for you. Your friends don't make it for you. You know, I, I, I was thinking, I said this in the first service, you're not righteous by association. You know, God says, I'm going to love you. I love you, Tim. You know, or there's four of us in the room, and he hands out his grace. Oh, you're here, Tim. Okay, I really was talking to them. Here's, here's some grace to you, too. Like, I got it because I just happened to be in the right spot at the right time. No, it's for everybody. And the same is true with God's power. And I'll tell you guys, if I don't know the Lord, I'm not going to obey Him. If I've got an obedience problem, I've got a knowledge problem with God. But as I get more familiar with God, the more I obey Him. See, Moses had a problem with, with this as well. He had a problem understanding who God was too. Look at this. I mean, tell me what you think, what he says here. This is after he's talked to the Israelites, he's talked to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, no more straw. Don't collect straw for them and tell them to make just as many bricks. And the Israelites are twisted at Moses. They go off on him. And look what Moses says to God. Tell me if this is a guy that understands who God is or is having a problem. 
Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your people? Is this why you sent me here? I went to the king and said what you told me to say, but ever since that time, he has made the people suffer, and you've done nothing to save them. You know, if I'm Aaron, and I'm sitting, standing next to Moses, and he goes off like that, I'm going to go, we think we're going to step a little bit over here. And, you know, Moses, I'm here, but a little distance here, you know. Maybe put up a shield so I don't get a lot of flesh on me when he gets clobbered, blown up. No, Moses is having trouble too. And this is just, and by the way, what follows is God saying this, okay, I'll tell you what, I'm going to send ten plagues to convince Pharaoh. And I get to see God thinking, and you. And Moses, what's he do? He sides with God. And he obeys. Take that staff. Put it in the Nile. Have Aaron do that. And what happens? The river turns to blood. Stretch out your hands. And here come the gnats and the frogs. Stretch out your hands. And away they go. Put the blood over the doorpost. And I will spare you. Pray over here and hail will come and destroy livestock. I got to thinking, what if Moses hadn't obeyed the Lord? Would those plagues have taken place? Would the wonders... Now, I got to remember, guys, God does things. It'll either make you wonder or it'll put you in awe when you see His wonders. And he's looking at this, watching these plagues go down. What's Moses thinking? God is awesome. God is powerful. And He does what He says, and He means what He says. So when He says to me, do this and gnats, or do this and lightning, and do this and hail, and do this and blood, and do this and firstborn die, and He says, the same God says to me, you matter. You matter. I better listen. Moses makes that commitment. He trusts the Lord. And he, and he obeys Him. The simple th- just simple stuff, guys. Simple stuff. With his staff, with his hands, with his prayer life. Just simple things. And God does amazing stuff. In Exodus 7 here, I just want you to notice this as we close. God tells, or Moses tells the Pharaoh that, that God is going to show you He's going to show you who He is by what He is going to do. And it's these ten plagues. And what I thought was interesting is verse 20. It says, Then Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. And I thought, that's interesting to me. I noticed two things. When Moses did what the Lord commanded, God revealed Himself. And He also saw Himself. And when Aaron did what God commanded, He also helped Moses see God and himself. Two lessons here. Guys, you trust God this week. Really trust Him this week. Make a decision to trust Him and obey Him. Say, you know, I'm really going to, I'm going to seek the Lord and I'm going to really trust Him with this stuff that I'm facing. And He's going to reveal Himself to you and you're going to learn some things about yourself. You're going to learn you're really more important than you realize. But also, if you'll be an errand to someone, you can help them see themselves too. By being a man or a woman that trusts the Lord, you'll help a Moses see the wonders of God and understand themselves.
Let me show you one last verse, and I'll, then I'm going to stop here. I got to stop. Is there one last verse up on the screen there, Pat? By any chance? Yeah. Look at this. The Apostle Paul says it like this: Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but is lived by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. What's Paul talking about? He's saying it's no longer me. My identity is not. My identity is not mine. It belongs to God. My life, you see, is not mine. It's now I identify myself with Christ. Look at this. Look at this last passage in Galatians 2. It says, this is the message. Look what he says here. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God. And it didn't work. So I quit being, listen to this, I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with Him. He's making that commitment. You see that? Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine. It is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. He said, it's not mine anymore. I identify myself with Christ. I find my identity in Christ. Have you made that commitment to God? Maybe it's a commitment of becoming a Christian. How do I do that, Tim? Well, if you're not, if you're not even sure you're a Christian, why not check in this little communication card, I want a personal Bible study. I want to talk to somebody about this. Perhaps talk to a friend, a member here, and they can get you, they can get you started on that road on what it means to make a commitment and become a Christian. But if you are a Christian, I want to tell you, you're not the first, you won't be the last to be confused about your identity. You need to make a commitment, though. Make a commitment to God to clear it up. Where you stand this morning is up to you. We're going to give you a chance to write on this card that you have in your bulletin, maybe a prayer request or a decision. I want to encourage you to make it. And then as we're going to sing a song while you do that. And then we're going to sing another song and collect that, those cards and our contribution. All right? Let's pray and we'll be through. Holy God, thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for... God, thank you for making it possible to have our identity restored. Lord, I just think about there was a time when all of us were pure in Your sight. Then sin come along. Something happened. Something went sideways. And our identity began to, our true identity began to slowly be, be chipped away until we come up with this other person. A person we don't even like. A person we don't want to be. It's been shaped by sin. It's been shaped by sinners. It's been shaped by my past. It's been shaped, Lord, it's, all, it's been shaped by all these other things, these other thieves, Lord. And God, we pray you'll come and, we, Lord, I'll say it this way. We unlock the door of our heart and let you, and let you come in and steal this identity. Take it from us and give us, Father, our true identity, the one you gave us when we were born. The one that, that we, that through understanding it, Father, we see our purpose. 
and what our life is really about. Father, I know there's some folks in here, Father, we're in pain. We are in pain. We're hurting. We're frustrated, Father. Would you, would you give us clarity? Help us understand, Father. Help us to let go of whatever we're doing, the ego that we've brought to this that's causing the confusion, to let go of it and let you work. Lord, help us listen to you. And maybe we have to listen to it over and over and over and over again, but help us listen to what you say over all the other statements. Think about LifeLock and how they talk about how you need to review the statements, your monthly statements. Father, we need to review the statements we hear and pick out those that are fraudulent, that aren't true, and protect this new identity You give us. Lord, some of us here, you know, we're so excited to be a Christian. We thank You for this new purpose, this new identity. Lord, help us keep it. Protect us. Father, protect us for a lifetime. I pray You comfort my sister-in-law, Stephanie. Father, comfort Danny, Morgan, and Ethan, and just the whole, her whole family as, they go, as they're going through more funerals this week, Lord. Just give them great comfort, Lord. Let Your Holy Spirit minister. to. And Father, I know Stephanie, she's the kind of woman that will look for opportunities, Father. Make them obvious to her so she can share her faith with the rest of her family. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.